Well, you can uh, look up on the screen or turn in your Bibles. We're going to be over in the book of 2 Kings. You remember earlier on in this series, we started off over here in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to come back into this on a different part of the story. 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. At one point during a game, a baseball coach said to one of his young players, Do you understand what cooperation, what cooperation is? Do you understand what a team is? The little boy nodded, yes. Do you understand, what it, what, um, do you understand that what matters is whether we are together as a team? The little boy, once again, he nodded, yes. So the coach continued. He said, when a strike is called or you're out at first, you don't argue or curse or attack the umpire. Do you understand all of that? Little boy, once again, nodded, yes. The coach said, good. Now go over there and explain it to your mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. How many of y'all know when emotions get a hold of you, <laughs> they can get you to do some things that maybe you shouldn't all be, ought to be doing? <laughs> We're going to look at, we're going to look at a, a woman today whose emotions did not get a hold of her. She was quite a fine example. How many were here last week? We went over the, another woman in the Old Testament who also was called to uh, help out a, a prophet. She was called to feed the prophet Elijah. And we know that the, the story that Elijah had come to her and said, you know, give me uh, some of that cake first. I've, God had said, I commanded a widow woman. I think that was so important for us to understand that. God said, I have commanded a widow woman to feed you. And when he arrives on the scene, after waiting at the brook Cherith for a while and being fed by the ravens, after the brook dried up, he was sent on over to the woman. And when he gets to the woman, God had said, I have commanded a widow woman there to feed you. So she received this command. Somehow she knew something was, that she was supposed to do. We don't know exactly what was said, but we know that she was expecting to see someone come along that she was supposed to feed. But when we come on the scene, we find out she is gathering sticks to prepare her last meal. Now, can you imagine hearing a word from God that, you are go that he's going to provide for you and you're going to feed a prophet? And here you are waiting and 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 waiting. And now you are on your last day. All you have left to do now is eat up what you've got and die. That's what she said. We're, we're out here. We're going to gather some sticks. We're going to cook up this last cake. Eat it. My son and I, were going to die. Sometimes we don't always think about this story from the point of the woman. But this is a woman who had her anticipation up that she was going to receive deliverance. She was going to receive help. She had a command from the Lord. And here it was the last day. How many of y'all know it seems like God did not come through for her? I'm sure there was a lot of temptations for her to doubt. And we can relate to a lot of situations he's in. However, here was, here's the thing to learn from this. This woman was not in a position to exercise her faith until this day. And she needed to exercise faith because it was her faith that she was going to exercise. Remember Jesus said, there's a whole lot of widows, but we had to go outside the country to find someone with faith. He had to wait on this day for her to take what was nothing. And the prophet first said to her, he says, 
give me a drink in a drought. And she went back to get him some water. Ah, this is not a test of faith. So he immediately corrects it. And he says, no, go back and make me a cake as well. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, now, okay, now we've pushed the button. Now we've got her where we need her to be. Now we've got her to that place where she can do something in faith, and this will help us out. All right, so he says, he, he gets you the whole thing. If you make a ma- uh, cake for me first, and bring it here to me, and then go back and make one for yourself and for your son, the oil will not run dry, and the flour will not be empty until the day that rain comes upon the earth. So she had to have faith in that. But you see, it had to be until... If she gave out of her surplus before, it would not have been an act of faith. It would just be, I'll just give a little bit more. It was no big deal. But here it was a big deal. Here was a big deal. And God had to wait, not because he's trying to torture this woman. He had to wait until she was in a place where she could do something of faith that could open up the doors for God to bless her. Remember Abraham? Abraham, your son, your only son, he had to be in a position of faith. He had to be in a position to act. And when he acted and he took that one son, his only son, up on the mountain, God said, all right, you can stop. You did this. That's all I needed you to do. I just needed that act of faith. I needed that obedience. You did that. Now I can work. Now I can do something. We've been on this series, Give God Something to Work, where too often Christians just pray and, oh, God, help me out. Oh, God, do something and then go off and don't give God anything to work with. We, go through, we have been through the Word of God here these 16 weeks looking at people that gave God something to work with. We don't just throw things in God's hand and God's just wait for God to do something. Constantly we've gone through and we looked at people. Jesus says, what do you have? The prophets came in the Old Testament. What is in the house? That was, that was the story we looked at before here. The woman with the oil. I've got this big debt. What's in the house? I got a little bit of oil. All right, here's what we're going to do. He takes what we have. Too often we are geared up to look at what we don't have and what we need, and God just needs to come in and just bring us something. But he says, what do you have? When he's going to feed 5,000, what does he say? What you got? And he made them go around. And you, go, you go out there and you find something. You don't, you don't come back to you. Bring me something. Bring me something. Well, we got, we got a couple of small fish and some loaves. But what's that about among so many? It's exactly what we need. All right, get everybody to sit on down. We're going to eat. <laughs> Fed the 4,000, does the same thing. God is looking for something to work with. When you pray and ask God to take care of a need, when you pray and ask God to minister for, on your behalf, you also have to come in there and say, this is what I have. This is what I have. One thing we looked at from last week. Everything that the woman confessed to having multiplied. Everything she confessed. She only confessed to having two things. We got a little bit of meal. We got a little bit of oil. The two things, the only two things she confessed to having multiplied. You have got to be aware of what you have. And then put it into a place where God can bless it, where God can use it. Don't just sit there and say, well, God, do something. I don't know what you're going to do. Just do something. Uh-uh. That's not the pattern in the Word of God. We've got to go after the pattern of the Word of God. It's a nice pattern. How I many of y'all know it's a nice pattern? It'd be nice just to say, oh, God, do something. I'll just sit here and kind of wait. No, that's not what happens. God looks for something to be done. So let's get on with our, our story here. Last week, we also looked at the difference between faith 
and works, a works mentality looks behind. Faith mentality looks ahead. A, look, a works mentality is saying, but God, I have done, but God, I have suffered, but God, I have been through. A faith mentality says, where are we going? Here's what I have for you to bless. Here's what I can do. That's a faith mentality. You're in a faith mentality. You're in a place where God can bless you. You get yourself in a works mentality. You shut off the power of God. You got to stop sitting around there bragging about what it is you've been through and how much God ought to come through for you. Amen. All right. Second Kings chapter four, verse eight. Are we ready? <laughs> now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman. King James Bible says a great woman. And she persuaded him to eat some food. You know, some women can be very persuasive when it comes to food. <laughs> Have you noticed that? <laughs> I mean, men, we don't care. You eat, you eat, you don't eat. We just don't care. <laughs> Here's the food. Eat if you want. But some women, uh, they just have a, a knack, a gift, you know, they want to make sure that you eat abundantly. <laughs> How many of y'all know that? Yeah, well, this is one of those women. She wants to make sure that people around her eat abundantly. And so he comes on in and uh, don't just eat a little bit. Come on, let's go. You gotta, we want you to eat something. And she persuaded him to eat some food. Apparently, he needed some persuading. I don't know if he just wasn't hungry. I don't know if he just didn't want to eat food, if he just wanted to go down to McDonald's. I don't know what it was, but she had to persuade him. She was ready to persuade him, and she did. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. So she persuaded him the first time, and then after a while, she got him into the habit. <laughs> Every time you come by here, this place is open. We got some food in here. We got some places to go. Have you ever had it where you have been out driving around somewhere and you tried out a new restaurant? And oh, oh and you found this restaurant is good. Oh, I like this restaurant. Oh, this is good. And so what happens is that when you would pass by there again, oh, I remember this restaurant. This was a good restaurant. Let's go in there and eat. And then after a while, you begin to make trips so that you go near that restaurant. Because you like where that restaurant was, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Elijah was, was, or Elisha was doing this, but he may be thinking, you know what? We could get there this way, or we could get there this way. How about we go this way? <laughs> we'll go by that uh, woman's house and have some of that, whatever it is that she cooked up. And so he would do that. So apparently they did it often enough in verse 9. And she said to her husband, look now. I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Now, men, you can understand this. What does it mean when your wife says, let us make a room? <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's hearing this. So let us make a room. Right. Okay. <laughs> so she's not lifting the finger. I'll prove it to you. She's not lifting the finger to make this room. I will prove it to you by the word of God. She does not lift a finger to make this room. She cook, but she's not making rooms. That's her husband's job. So she brings him in and says, look, this, come on over here. Uh, we, we, you see this little area over here? I mean, it's nothing right now, but we could you know, build a, a, a room. And look how she talks about this. Please let us make a small upper room. How many of y'all know? A woman's small room is different from a man's small room. <laughs> right? We know that. We have different sizes. 
Now, men also have other things that are small is bigger than a woman's small in the same thing. You know, we may say, well, I'm going to go out there and get myself a small truck. And it's bigger than probably what the woman would have gotten. <laughs> so, you know, we all have these kind of things we do. But anyway, she says, let us make a small upper room, because it sounds better. Let's just make a small one on the wall. And let us put a bed there for him, or a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. I mean, we're, she's decking the whole thing out. She's just describing, this is what we're doing. We're, I see the whole thing. I don't just, I see this room. This is how it is. It's going to be this way. You know, women are that way. They can see the room. And, and so it will be. Whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So we don't have to just feed him. I mean, he can stay here. He can sleep here. We can take care of him. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Now, how many of you all know there's a whole lot that happened in there? It didn't just, that room didn't just appear. <laughs> somebody built it. Somebody had to, you know, do all the different stuff. We had to go out and get the bed. We had to go out and get the lampstand. We had to run the electric wires. We had to get the plumbing in there. We had to get the air conditioning, the heater, all that sort of stuff. We had to get some stuff going on. It didn't just happen, but you read the Bible. Here it is. So uh, here, here's, here's my vision. And the next time he comes by, there's the room. Wow. That was neat. Now, this man has a field that he takes care of. I bet you sometimes that wife had to come on in there and say, honey, come on, we got to get this room going. Because <laughs> that room is not done. He's coming back. I know he's coming back. <laughs> we got that going on in our house. There's always, there's always a room that needs to be finished. We got to work on something. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned in the upper room and lay down there. So I'm sure she was looking forward to it. Here's this guy. He's the prophet of God. She has recognized this is a prophet of God. This is the guy, the hand of God is on this man. And we want to do everything we can to bless him. And so we're going to bring him into the house. He comes on by the next time she's looking forward to it. Oh, she can't wait until he comes on by. She's anticipating his arrival. He's going to come on by to get some food. Oh, we got, we got something more for you. Come on, let me take you up over here. You see this? We got a bed. We got a lampstand. This is your room. <laughs> we built it for you. This is your room. Whenever you're coming on by, this is your place. We want you to stay here. We want you to... He's just impressed. I mean, not too many people just build a room for the prophet. But she did it. She just built a room for the prophet. Now, she brings her husband and her husband gets involved. We're going to find out in the story. Husband's not involved in a whole lot, but he's involved in this. I'll tell you why, because she doesn't build rooms. Again, I'm going to prove it to you before we get out here in the story. So he's, he's impressed by all this sort of stuff. And Elisha's going to ask her some questions here. Verse uh, 12. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, I'm, I'm sure that he knew her name at this point, but we're just called the, the Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, and he said to him, say, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Elisha has their audience all the time. He says, if you want, I'll let him know. This woman over here, help her out. Whatever it is that you need. Do you need some favor from the king? You want me to see if I can put in a good word for taxes, give you a tax break? What would you like me to do? She said, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I am content with what I got. I am here among my own people, got my own house, got my own place. What more could I have? She's content. 
So he said, what then is to be done for her? She's not asking for anything. Isn't that neat where somebody has just done something nice for you and they don't want anything? They just want to bless you. This, this woman does not, she does not want a thing. All she wants to do is to bless the man of God. She recognized him as a man of God, saw him as a, a prophet of God. And all she wants to do is build a room, get some food, take care of him. Whenever he comes home by, we're going to take care of you. You don't have to be concerned about it. That's all we want to do. What do you want for? I don't want anything. She recognized the hand of God. Now compare this to the woman last week. Remember the woman last week? Well, she did a good thing. God commanded her. But the daily miracle was going on. Every day the oil was increased. Every day the meal was increased. Every single day this was going on. And yet she doubted. And then her son dies. And she takes him to the man of God, Elijah, and she says, is this what you've done? You've come into my house to remind me of my sin? And so he takes him up to the room, you know, stretches out on him, does all the different stuff, and he comes back to life and brings him on down. Here, take your son. And the woman says, now I know that you are a man of God. Why? Because her son was raised from the dead. Not because every day the meal was increased. Not because every day the, the uh, uh, oil was increased. She was making her last meal. She has eaten a lot of meals since then and is feeding an extra person. That doesn't tell her. This is the thing that we have to really be careful about. Because the daily miracles that God does for us, the daily provision that he does, the things that he supplies us all around, we can become very nonchalant about. And they don't speak to us the greatness of our God. Another case in point would be Israel. Every day God rained down manna. Every day he fed two to four million people for 40 years. And it became old hat. Within weeks, it was old hat. Too many times, Christians, we get so accustomed to the words that God speaks to us on a daily basis, to the joy that he puts in us on a daily basis. We get accustomed to the Christians that are around us, that are around to encourage us. We just take them for granted. We take for granted the word of God that we hear. We take for granted the worship of God that we enjoy. <laughs> We take it, this doesn't speak to us, the greatness of God. Oh, but come into my life and do something great like raise a son to, to life. Now I know you're God. Uh-uh. Now, there's a difference between these two women. The woman we looked at last week still had doubts that Elijah was a man of God, despite all those things, despite the daily provision that went on. This woman, without any miracle at all, recognized Elisha was a man of God. And never doubted it, no matter what happens. And the same thing that happened to the woman last week is going to happen to this one. But she never doubts. The reason that some of us become doubters of our God is not because of lack of things going on in our life. We all have stuff going on in our life. We all have things that are happening all around us. We all have things that God has done and helped us with. The reason that we doubt, it's a character flaw. You've allowed that character flaw to reign inside. You need to get rid of it. It's not the miracles. It's not the events in your life. You have just not decided to believe the Word of God. You need to make that decision. I, no matter what, I'm going to believe the Word of God. No matter what happens in my life, 
I will believe the word of God. No matter what experience I come upon, and I don't understand it, I will believe the word of God. Now, we got something to say uh, on that here later on in the story. It goes right along with what Naz was talking about here today. So I'm kind of glad you gave that little testimony there because it'll still help us. Don't let me forget. I tell people that on Wednesday night all the time because we sometimes get into some stuff. It's all right, we're going to get into this in a minute, and I don't want them to let me forget, and they do a good job. Where do we leave off at? Verse 14. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. Oh, wow. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes men can be very unobservant. I don't know. Sometimes maybe you may have noticed that. But sometimes men can be very unobservant. And so all the time that he has come over to the house for dinner, all the times that he has come, he's got the, the, the room that's all made up, all this stuff. She doesn't have a kid? Really? No son at all? Nothing? Wow. I just thought they ate someplace else. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when you get up to heaven, you can ask Elisha about this story, and you can find out if that's really what happened. But uh, Gehazi, I guess he observed this, and he said, well, you know, I've never seen a son around here. I don't think she's got a son. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, call her on in. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. The doorway of what? The room that she built. Right? She stood in the doorway to the room. But hey, her husband built, excuse me. <laughs> the room she envisioned. The room she envisioned, we'll say it that way. She stood in the doorway of the room that she envisioned. So where was he? This is important. He's in the room. He's in the room. Because they were in there talking. So when, she, when, I want you to get this idea. When he stayed in that room, it was not her room. When he stayed in that room, that was her, that was his room. It's his. She comes in. She does not come in. It's not her room. She stands in the doorway. She's done all these things, but she treats him with such respect. She stands at the doorway. Yes, sir. I think that just, you, the character of this woman is phenomenal. She's one of those ones, when we get to heaven, I want to meet her. I want to, I want to meet this woman. I want to say, Ben, you, <laughs> I know the story in the Bible doesn't tell all the stuff that was going on with you. Oh, but that's, she has something going on here. When he called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Now, he first asked her, what can I do for you? And she has no need. Wouldn't that be great? Now, do you really think she had no need? No matter where you are, haven't y'all know, <laughs> there's always something. There's always something you need. <laughs> You're never without the need. You're always looking ahead. Oh, if I work a little extra, I can get, I can do, I can go. Yeah, we're, we're always, always something. But she, she has no need. She has no motive for doing this other than just to, just to bless them. She just serves them with a pure heart, serving God by building this room, helping them out, feeding them. 
But by her doing this, she saw an opportunity to bless something that God was in. When she took that opportunity to bless something that God was in, she recognized the hand of God and she looked for an opportunity. She didn't wait for anybody to tell her what to do. Elisha never came up and said, you know, it would be sure nice if I had a room here. Never says that. She looks for the opportunity for what can be done. And she gets herself involved. By her doing that, she has put herself in a position to be noticed. We've been talking about that in the seven church series on Wednesday night. There are some things we can do to get us noticed by God. Sometimes in the seven church letters, people got noticed for bad things. Sometimes they got noticed for good things. You can get noticed by God. I don't just mean he knows your name. I mean something calls his attention that says, Ooh, all right, you got my attention. This woman put herself in that place. About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Now, it takes nine months to fully cook a son, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so he says, about this time next year. So nine months is going to be the, 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 the period there. So it, what's he saying is you're going to get pregnant real soon. He is, he is putting a time limit on this thing. Now, when did he consult God? When did he ask God anything about this? Does he pray? Say, oh, Father God, can I pray? Can I ask? It, there's, it's not going on, is it? Huh. No, not at all. Remember the last story we looked at last week? Elijah? Right in the beginning of the story, Elijah comes out to the king and he says, what about the drought? There shall be no rain on the earth except at my word. He didn't say God's word. He said my word. Constantly in the word of God. When God is going to do something, he declares it through man. Go back to the ten plagues in, in uh, Egypt. What happened before each one? What happened? A man declared it. When water came from the rock, what did Moses do? Declare it. When they went across into Jordan, what did they first do? Declared it. You can keep going through on this thing. <laughs> what did uh, David do when he faced Goliath? He declared it, didn't he? Before anything was done by God, a man or woman declared it. Somebody said it. You don't think it's powerful about what the things you say with your mouth? Now, you think about it this way. How many things have you declared with your mouth that you'd rather not be saying? You'd rather not be happening. Then you better watch, watch it, what you're saying with your mouth. We'll show you in this, in this story. You're going to see a real good example of it right here in this, this story. I love this story. You know how long it's been since we taught in this one? You don't? You don't forget? Nine years. Yeah, we don't usually let that long go before, before going on to the story, but I love this story. This story is great. This woman, the more I look at this, this woman is just awesome. <laughs> see, it's just something else. You can see why Elisha was taken to it with her. About this time next year, you shall embrace the son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. <laughs> Don't get my hopes up. How many of y'all know when you have been believing God for something for a long time and it hasn't come, you can get yourself set to the stage that I'm just not going to have it and I have, I have become satisfied with not having it. Right? I just, have to, I just decided I'm not going to have that in my life and I'm just going to go on. 
And then somebody wants to come along and say, no, but you can't have it. No, 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 don't be, don't be messing with me. I've already got myself out of that framework. I've already gone away from that. Don't you be messing with me. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her, which tells you what about the woman and the words that he spoke. That she believed it, right? What happened to Sarah when she didn't believe the word of God? No baby. No baby. When she got to that point where she didn't laugh and she did believe it, what happened? Baby. Don't you think for a moment this woman stayed at this spot. She told what was on her heart, and they ministered to her, they helped her, and she got herself in faith because she's a faith-filled woman. She is, the character of this woman is to believe, to believe in the things of God. And she got herself right. She, she said what, was, what she was feeling at the moment. She said, look, don't, don't, don't get my hopes up if you're, this isn't so. He says, it's so. It's going to happen. All right. She got behind it. So this, this great woman responds with unbelief, but she does get herself right. <laughs> Verse 18, and the child grew. Well, that's what happens with them. They grow. And it happened one day that he went out with his father to the reapers. See, the father is watching over the reapers. They got a big place. You don't need reapers if you got a little garden. They got a big place. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. Now, this is kind of odd because if your son is going through something, you're not sure, how many of you think the dad would take him back? He doesn't. He gives them to a, to a servant. You take him back. I got to take care of the work here. Carry him back to his mother. When he had taken him, he brought him to his mother. He sat on her knees till noon and then died. Now, more than likely, dad doesn't think this is anything that's, that's uh, going to result in death. More than likely, it didn't have the appearance of that, but it, took, it went that way. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. A couple of reasons why she put him up there. First off, she's going to the prophet, so she put him in his room. That is his room. She does not really go into this as far as we can tell. doesn't go into this room. Puts him in the room, closes the door. You know why? No one goes in that room. That, son's gonna be, that body's going to be left alone. It was their tradition that as soon as someone died, you got them in the ground as fast as you could. You got them buried as fast as you could. Just a, it's just one of the things that they did. She does not want this happening, and no one's going to bury this son until I get back. And she's going on. So she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. And she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. Now, she wants a, uh, uh, one of the servants. She wants a donkey, and she wants to... Run. She is not running. She is sitting on that donkey the whole way. She's running as far as we're going we're gonna to make a run. Like if you say, I'm going to run to the store. You're not running to the store. Right? You're getting in your car. <laughs> You're going over to the store. So she's saying she's running. She's not running. She's not that type of a woman. There are some women who would run to the store. Not this one. Look at the, read the rest of the, the story here. Please send me one of the young men. And one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. So again, he doesn't think anything's going on with the son because it's just, well, his head hurt. It's a big deal. Now she says, it is well. You know what she actually said in the Hebrew? Put this in your outline if you want to fill it in. 
Here's what she actually said in the Hebrew. She does not say a sentence. She says one word. Shalom. Shalom. It is peace. peace. That's how we translate it. She says one word. Shalom. Shalom. He says it as well. Or shalom. So he lets it go. All right, fine. Here's the servant. And she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. Now, I think this is hysterical. I read this and I just laugh. This is funny. I'm going to sit on the donkey. You're going to walk next to me. The donkey is going to carry me and walk, and I'll let you know if it's too hard for me. <laughs> Every time I read this, I, get, I just laugh at this. I'm going to sit on the donkey. You're going to walk beside the donkey and lead the donkey. The donkey's going to carry me. It's going to do all the walking. I'm going to sit here, and I'll tell you if the pace is too hard. <laughs> this is why I know this woman did not build the room. She did not build the room. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the woman of God saw her afar off that she said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, it is, well, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Guess what the word is again? Shalom. So shalom with your husband or however they would, I'm not Hebrew. Greek is my thing, not the Hebrew. It is well it is well with the child. And she answered one word. Shalom. shalom. Now, how many of you, if your son just died and you're on your way to the man of God, who was the one who spoke the child was coming, are saying a little bit more? I mean, you all know, you're going to be saying a little bit more. This is the thing that you, and, and Nas was talking about this here today when the, during the offering time. That there are sometimes that things happen to you that you do not understand. The best advice you can follow is shut your mouth. You do not need to offer an explanation for something that has happened that you don't yet understand. Don't do it. If you don't understand why it happened, don't say why it happened. I get so irritated at Christians who come up with these crazy explanations for what happened to them in their life. And I'm thinking, you are so ignorant in the things that you are saying. Do you realize that what you are speaking... I don't say this to them all the time. Sometimes they're just not ready to hear it. Most of the time they aren't ready to hear it. Why, why are you even offering an explanation? You don't know what happened. How many of you have an area in your, uh, of life that you, are, you would consider yourself at least a, a quasi-expert in? Maybe it might be in the kitchen. Maybe it might be with, uh, I know some of you folks like the, the knitting and the crocheting and stuff, and you would consider yourself an expert with that. Some of you would consider yourself an expert with uh, some sports like golf and things like that. You'd be an expert at these, these kind of things. There is something in your life that you're an expert at. Some of you are an expert on mechanical things and engines and so forth. If you are an expert on just to say mechanical things on an engine and you hear somebody come up and say, well, my car is doing this. I think it's the transmission. You're thinking... Why do you think it's the transmission? <laughs> why would you even, why would that even come into your mind? Because <laughs> you understand that's not a transmission sound. There's a, there's a certain sound because you have a little bit of, just so you may know, I'm not saying you're the best person in the world, you're the most expertise of it, but you have some expertise on a thing. 
And when you hear something, you can say, well, that's not the reason for it. And you hear somebody who's ignorant give an explanation. What, that person is primed. Let's just stay with the car one. That's a person is primed to be taken advantage of. If they pull into the uh, mechanic and he says, yes, yeah, making the sound, I don't know, I'm thinking it might be the transmission. If it's not an honest repairman, what's he going to do? Then we're going to find something wrong with the transmission. <laughs> we're going to replace the whole thing and not do anything and charge them for it. Because <laughs> they don't know. They're ignorant. Don't declare your ignorance. If something has happened in your life and you do not understand what it is, just hush. Father God, I'm not sure why this happened. I'm not sure why these things went on in this, this situation. With, I, don't, I don't know. But you know what? Down the road, you may. So don't say something now. Just be quiet. Let God minister to you. People come up to you and say, why did that happen? I don't know. But I'll find out later. When I find out, and I will find out, God will tell me. Don't just declare ignorance. Just say, I, I don't know right now, but I will. God will tell me. I know why that happened. I just don't know why now. And then just leave it at that. This is what this woman does. Why does her son die? She doesn't go around. She doesn't say anything to her husband because her husband is going to say, what do you mean he died? How did he die? Uh, she doesn't want to be talking about that. And Gehazi comes. If you know anything about Gehazi, you might understand why she wouldn't tell him anything. <laughs> I wouldn't tell him anything either. His time is limited as the helper with Elisha because of the things that he does. And she might be saying, no, you're going to ask me those crazy questions too. I don't need to answer them from you. She just says, shalom. Verse 27. This is the kingpin of the entire passage here. This is it. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away because this guy is ignorant. He does not know the things that are going on. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. This is a man who expects to hear from God about stuff that doesn't have to do with him. He just expects God to talk to him about stuff. He expects it. He is kind of surprised that he doesn't know why she's upset. Now, this word here, the Lord has hidden it from me, is a, um, I, again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. There's a couple of different words that it could have used for this. But I want to give you a, a place where this was used, the same word, where it was used later on. Well, earlier on in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the, fam, the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with, a hard, with hard questions. I mean, you know, hard questions don't have easy answers. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. The same word that was just used in the passage we read is the same thing that's used here in verse 3. There was nothing so difficult. The King James Bible put it, there was nothing hidden from him. There was nothing too difficult. He saw it. Imagine having that kind of wisdom. Go ahead and answer me any question you want to. He's not afraid of it. 
He's not boastful or proud. He just says, go ahead. The wisdom that God has put on the inside of me will have an answer. It will have an answer. The King James Bible translated verse 3 this way, and Solomon told her all, all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. He says, the Lord has hidden it from me. He says, I don't know what's going on. Now, in this day and age, we're used to a whole lot of people. This is their, their especially these last couple of weeks. How many of y'all know? I'm tired of, of people in leadership in this country talking about what they don't know. I think it's the most ignorant thing in the world. And the press is, is, is culpable too. They should not be accepting these kind of things. You imagine if BP, British Petroleum, when that oil rig blew up, if the CEO who was hauled before Congress, if he said, I don't know what happened. I didn't know about it until you all found out about it. I didn't know about it until the news report came. What would they do? They'd fry them. You wouldn't be having any of that job that's wrong. But how many people we have in this administration who talk about what they don't know? Eric Holder, well, I don't know what other people are doing. I don't know why they're doing all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't know what happened with Fast and Furious. I don't know what happened with that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The president, how many people are under him? He says, I don't know what they were doing. That's ridiculous. No leadership should be out there just, I don't know. They wouldn't tolerate it with anyone else. But for all this whole group of leaders here, from the folks in Congress and the folks that are uh, in appointed positions, how many times we have all these things, I don't know. Hillary Clinton standing before Congress. I don't know what happened. Now, here's a guy who expects to know and is shocked that he doesn't. He is shocked. At, I, don't, I don't know why I don't know. Something has gone on. I can see something has gone on, and I don't know. The Lord has hidden this from me. In other words, he's not revealed. He's not opened my eyes to see this. Most times, Elisha knew stuff that happened other places where he wasn't even at. The king of Syria would make a plot, and Elisha would hear about it. It was so intense that the king of Syria said, all right, which one of you is a traitor? Which one of you is telling the king of Israel where we are? We keep laying traps, and he keeps avoiding them. Who of you is a traitor? And one of them stopped and said, none of us. It's Elisha. He knows the very things that go on in your bedchamber. So they all said, we need to go get him. So they all came down to Dothan, surrounded the city. Remember the story? Elisha's servants all nervous. They're all here to get you. He says, ah, oh, don't worry about it. There's more with us than there are with them. He says, yeah, right. <laughs> he says, Lord, open up his eyes, let him see. And he opened up his eyes and he saw a host of angels surrounding the city. Didn't say that Elisha saw them. But Elisha walks out right into the midst of them and says, who are you looking for? We're looking for Elisha. Oh, come on, I'll take you to the guy you want to see. <laughs> and he leads them right into the city of Samaria. And then their eyes are open and they see they are surrounded by the army of Israel. And the king says to Elisha, should we kill them? He says, no, you don't kill your guest. Feed them. Send them home. <laughs> he is quite a guy. He expects to know stuff that happens outside of him. But he says, this one I don't know about. God has not told me about this, and I don't know why. So you let her, you let her stay right here, and you let her talk. Something's going on. But I want you to notice, back to the woman. She has ample opportunity to speak doubt, unbelief, fear, and she doesn't do it. Every time somebody tries to get her to speak out of her mouth, what, is com what comes out of her mouth? Peace. Shalom. That's it. 
That's it. Tell you what, this is, this is one remarkable woman. You think about this woman especially. You have one son. You didn't think you would have a son ever. And finally one comes. You got that one son. You know he's got to be a mama's boy. Because it's because of the woman that he's here, not because of the dad. It's because of her. And he dies. What's going on with you? What's happening on the inside of you? Can you imagine taking all that and just, shalom. <laughs> shalom. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? It's a different word than she used before. Do not deceive me. They rightly translated it a different. Do not, de- do not deceive me. She said, don't, don't, don't get my hopes up. Don't deceive me. Don't get me into a place. Then he said to, he- to Gehazi, all right, now he knows what's going on. <laughs> get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. Pretty clear instructions. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. <laughs> In other words, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you can send Gehazi on all you want to. I'm not heading back with Gehazi. I'm not leaving you. So he arose and followed her. How many of y'all know he's probably got some other things to do? He, but he follows her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened so Gehazi, he goes through the motions, but nothing really happens here. Verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Did you see that? He went in, therefore, shut the door. Who went in? Elisha. Elisha and who? Himself. Himself, that's it. Just Elisha. He shut the door. No one else coming in here. Sure don't want Gehazi in there. Shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth. His eyes on his eyes. His hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. When we're looking at the two of them, we're looking at Elisha and the child. The child might be dead, but he's counted as one of the people in the room. He returned... And walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So this was a bit of a battle. But the child sneezed seven times. Now, his mentor raised someone up from the dead as well. And you'll see a lot of similarities in that if you want to compare the two stories. So Elisha gets involved and the child, his life is restored. And he called Gehazi. And said, call the Shunammite woman. He doesn't call the Shunammite woman. He calls the Gehazi, and Gehazi calls the Shunammite woman. I don't know why we do it that way. Why not just call the woman? <laughs> but he doesn't. He calls Gehazi. Gehazi comes in the room. Go get the Shunammite woman. So he goes out and gets the, the Shunammite woman and comes home back in. You know she wasn't far from the room. I mean, do you think she's out at the store grocery shopping? You think she's out in the field helping the reapers? No. Where's she at? <laughs> she's going to be right outside that door she's not far <laughs> I bet you Gehazi was further away than she was <laughs> oh my so he called her when she came to in, into him he said pick up your son 
<laughs> so she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. If this was the woman from the story before, what would have been her words? Now I know you are a man of God. But she doesn't say that. Why? Because she already knew he was a man of God. And even though her son died, she did not doubt that he was the man of God. That's, this is an intense woman. She is something else. What did she give God to work with? What do we have that she gave God to work with? First, she recognized the hand of God and got involved with it. This is something we all need to do. You need to recognize the hand of God and get involved with it. And there's all kinds of ways to get involved with it. But you need to recognize the hand of God. And when you see the hand of God, you need to get involved. You need to be, be around there. And this goes from all, that doesn't, doesn't just mean working. You need to recognize the hand of God in the books that you read. You need to recognize the hand of God in the tapes and the things that you listen to, TV shows that you put on. You need, when you recognize the hand of God or in a particular ministry, you need to get involved with it. You need to be listening on a regular basis. I told you before the stories when I was down in Tulsa and the people I came in contact with, when I recognized the hand of God, a, teacher, a teaching ministry, I got involved and I stayed involved. I've been involved with some of those people since, since uh, I went to school out there in the early 80s. I haven't stopped being involved. I still get all their stuff. I get all their new stuff. I go over their old stuff. I listen, I listen, I listen. Get involved. When you see the hand of God, you get involved with it. She recognized the hand of God. She got involved with it. Worship. Recognize the hand of God. There are some songs out there, so some people just like to sing Christian songs, and there are some people that worship. There are some people the hand of God is on, and there are some people that it's not. You need to recognize the hand of God and get involved with those things. And, uh, and, and, you, and you, you help them and do what you can. I got involved with um, um, my pastor down there. He's, he, I think I told people on Wednesday night, I was going to tell you all last week, but last week was Pastor Bob's last Sunday. He officially turned over the reins of Grace Fellowship, as I know it, it's now Grace Church, over to his son who took over the church. And so he's traveling around and going around 33 years. They celebrated 33 years of him in ministry. And so um, he's been my pastor since the early 80s. Every time Raymond asked me, who's your pastor? I always put Pastor Bob. So I, have to, I, I told some people already, said I got to find a replacement. Pastor Bob's no longer a pastor. If he's not a pastor, he can't be my pastor. He can still be somebody I enjoy. But I got to find a new pastor. So I, got my, I got, still got some time to, uh, to find that. But I got other people that I'm involved with. And they'll, uh, they'll do that. But he, he started this thing on his, uh, on his site to... Um, uh, you know, you buy CDs and stuff like that. How many, how many like to buy CDs? Buy ta- when, I was, when I was in the um, you know, early 80s, we'd have CDs, we had tapes. Every time I would go down to visit Tulsa, I would buy, I would go into the bookstore and I would buy tape after tape series after tape series. I don't care. I'd say, what was new since the last year I was here? And I would just come out of there with bags full of tapes just to bring them home and listen to them. And then we got into CDs. And CDs were okay, you know, a little bit, a little bit nicer. But you got, I don't like the process of burning the CD and putting it onto my MP3 player. It's just a pain in the neck. It's just, it's just a lot more work to go through. And so uh, they started this thing out there where you could buy the MP3s. Oh, that's nice. Buy the MP3s, just put it right on your thing, and you're, you're good to go. 
Well, they did, Pastor Bob started this thing um, last year where they had different, three different levels of, of, uh, of uh, uh, purchase power, I guess you would call it. And so he's got all this stuff out there, all these tapes and things like that. And um, they had a, 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 I don't know, a bronze level, a gold level, and a platinum level, and all these different things. And, you know, you're, you can buy so many. You can actually just download so many of these uh, things. So um, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and bicker over, well, should I give Bob... $200 for this level, or should I give Bob $300 for this level? No, I went right to the platinum. I said, I don't even care if I buy them all. <laughs> Took $400 out of our bunk bed account, sent it on down there to Pastor Bob. I just sent him more. I would have sent him more. I don't even know if I'll listen to all the CDs, all the MP3s that I can get from him on that, but glory to God, I got a chance to be involved and to, and to do that. And I just pull these things on down, put them on my phone, put them on my thing, and we get to listen to st- We're sitting there standing around, my wife and I, we got Pastor Bob in our ear. We got Brother Rick. We got uh, all kinds of folks out there to, to listen to. Recognize the hand of God. Get involved with it. Don't become uninvolved. Don't just let it. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever take it for granted. She looked for ways to be a blessing. Don't look for ways for, for people to ask you how you can bless them. Look for ways to be a blessing. When you hear the voice of God, they can speak to you about how you can be a blessing to someone, you are better prepared to hear the voice of God in your own life. Get yourself ready for that. Look for ways to be a blessing. That's what she did. Her motives were purely to serve. Make sure when you go out and be a blessing to somebody, your motives are purely to serve. Don't sit there and, and, and serve other people for the purpose of them serving you back. That's not it. Jesus says when you go out there and you invite some people over to dinner, invite people who can't invite you back. Right? That's what you need to do. Make sure your motives are pure. Just do it to, just to purely to serve. She was not thrown by appearance. That's hard. Her son appears to be dead. All hope seems to be lost. She's not thrown by it. She's asked how many times? Is everything okay? Shalom. Everything okay? Shalom. Everything okay with your husband? Shalom. Everything okay with the child? Shalom. She was not thrown by appearance. We could learn a whole lot from this woman on that. Number five, she remained stable in a storm. And this is the thing we can learn from this, the, the, the biggest thing right here. Be stable in a storm. When a storm comes, it doesn't mean it was from God. Last week, the woman blamed God for the storm. This week did not happen. This week, the child dies. I said, don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up. But she never blamed God. She didn't blame the man of God. And the situation was taken. Both situations were taken care of. Don't blame God for the storm. But stay stable. How do you stay stable? Keep doing what the Word of God says to do. Know the Word of God. Confess the Word of God. Confess what the Word of God says will be the outcome, not what is. Jesus doesn't get up in the bow of the boat and say, man, it's stormy. (laughs) Does he? He gets up in the bow of the boat and he says, peace, be still. But it was not peace, nor was it still. There is nothing wrong with getting up in the middle of the storm and calling for what is not. That is the example that we have in the Word of God. That's the example we have in this story. That's the example we have with Jesus, with Lazarus. How many times does Jesus call things that aren't yet? Get up and walk, but I'm lame. Get up and walk. (laughs) That's what we need to do. We need to, to look ahead on those things. 
five things that you can do to give God to work with just from this one story. But remain stable. Because what all this stuff wants to do is to come in and to unsettle you, to throw you. And you cannot let that happen. Don't let that happen. Jesus, while he was ministering with the woman with the issue of blood, the servants came and told Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. And immediately Jesus turned to Jairus, no one else, to Jairus. And he said, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Because as soon as that bad stuff comes in, you want to judge by appearance and you want to become unstable. He says, no, you don't. If you just stay stable, if you just stay in a place where you are not in fear, I've got something to work with. Give me something to work with. Just give me something. You give me this to work with, we'll see a miracle. And he did it. It didn't say that he was believing. It just said, don't fear. Don't fear. But the devil wants to come in. He's going to tell you, no, if you're not in believing, you're not going to get it. What does Jesus say? Don't fear. Don't fear. If you were here last week, we gave you that uh, quote for uh, just what the Lord gave me about, about the fear. I put it up on Facebook. I don't know if anybody saw it. But I put it up on there for you to, to see it there too. And uh, you know what? I just want to, I'm going to pull that back up again. You're going to stand up with me. How many filled out your, your praise reports? Getting, you all getting a good habit of that. I just, you don't know how much I appreciate that. I appreciate that. If you didn't, get, if you didn't put in your praise report, no matter how small, we want to hear what God's doing. Here's what we gave you last time. The word of God does not command us to be doubt-free, but to not doubt in our heart. That's what we gave you in your outline. Here's the other thing. It would seem that doubts that are in our head don't produce the fear that doubts in our hearts do. I hope you get that. It's so important. It would seem that doubts that are in our head don't produce the fear that doubts in our heart do. Am I doubting in my heart? Are you afraid? Doubting in your head won't produce fear. Doubting in your heart will. Make sure you stay out of that. How many prayer reports did we get here this morning? Go ahead and get them, uh, get them around. We'll, we'll pass them around. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. What an example, what a woman that we have to look to right here. So much we can learn from her. How to be stable when everything else is going bad around us. How to not say the wrong thing, to control our tongue, to not speak of things we don't understand until we understand them. So many things we can learn from her. Father, we thank you for the example that you give us of this woman. I look forward to the day we get to meet her, talk to her more about the story, what all went on. What a wonderful example of faith. We thank you for it. Thank you for the help that you give us. Father, we are all facing different things in our life. We're facing some situations like it was with the woman last week where it seems like we're on our last day. We're facing situations in this one where we have an abundance and we're just looking for people to bless Whatever our situation, Father, there are things we can learn from your word to help us in our walk, to help us in our life. We thank you for the things that we can do to give you something to work with, turn around for good, 
to turn around for an abundant blessing. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. While we're getting the rest of those uh, praise reports, my wife will get them on up here and she'll read them for us. We have uh, Susan's book on actual copy back there on the table. She has it all, all done. So the Moses Conspiracy. I'm sure that the author would sign it for you if you, uh, <laughs> if you wanted to get a copy. Uh, Miss Barb and I were talking, and she told her. So um, Candy took it to prayer, and she said later that, or actually the next day, Barbara called her and told her that she had the best night's sleep she had had in a long while. So thank God for answered prayer. Um, Anna had an opportunity. I love when God gives us opportunities mm. in our, our daily walk here. She says, I was able to share about the Holy Spirit at my Bible study on Wednesday about speaking in tongues. It's a God opportunity. And God is our healer. Amen. Vanessa said this morning that God healed my back this morning. You're having back troubles. Amen. Amen. So that's, that's better. Naz said last week after cutting his lawn that his trimmer died, decided not to work. That's what it says. And I believe that it would work again, and it did. And this week, he, he says, I always pray for God's favor on my job. So it's nice to hear someone who's been on the job for a long time um, say, to Naz that you're a godsend. <laughs> I boast in my God every day. Amen. Daryl said we were able to be a blessing to someone, to a customer, beyond what he had been paid to do. Oh. Praise God. Yeah, that's neat. And also, this morning, I learned a good lesson that I'm not like the Shunammite woman. I build rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I never compared my wife to the Shunammite woman, that's for sure. <laughs> I did not do that. 